We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Sunday. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is our Sunday reaction show, I guess we'll call it. On the other end of the line, as he is every Sunday, is Weldon Rodenberg. We'll recap all angles of Ole Miss's 61 to 21 win over Tulane in what I thought was Ole Miss's best played game of the year out of the three without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, get into some different stuff with that. Probably bounce around the SEC. Uh, I'd like to get into some other, like some SEC stuff, particularly just because. Uh, based off of what happened in Florida, Alabama, it seems like this could actually turn into a somewhat crazy year in college football if someone could clip Alabama, which they seem at least human. But we'll get into some different stuff with that and probably hit some NFL at the end. But before we get to that one, to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Football season in full effect. I just watched seven hours of commercial-free football. I'm sure many of you did, too. Got uh, tons of college action this weekend. Skybox free plays, I believe. they Guys at Skybox are nice enough to give – uh, the listeners out there, some free plays from the Friday show. I believe the college ones went two and one, and the NFL ones went one and one. Uh, NFL week one, Skybox was seven and oh. They were up six units this weekend on NASCAR. You need to check these guys out. It's the only way to consistently profit. I'm sure there's plenty of you, maybe listen to this on a Sunday night, probably on Monday, sitting there waiting on the text from the man asking to square up. That's not a great feeling. You want to be texting the man wondering where your extra cash is at. Skybox is the only way to do that consistently. They are professionals. I promise you, your own knowledge is not going to lead you consistently to profit because casinos, books were not built on losses, contrary to popular belief. They are still open because they make money and you need the professionals to help you. Check them out. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether that's weekly, monthly. Give them a day pass. You want to try them out for a college football Saturday at the very least. Uh, go through the $10 day pass. It's eight bucks if you use the promo code RIPPY for 20% off all purchases. Uh, go buy some merch. I was wearing the Skybox hats, wearing, uh, playing golf this weekend. Awesome stuff there. They've got articles to make you a smarter, better as well. Just check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Happy to have them on board. Uh, so I was talking to the guys at Skybox the other day. I uh, saw some chatter on the, uh, on the uh, message board about, one, Skybox working and making money, which is great. Continue to use the promo code. I appreciate it. But uh, – the who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. I don't remember why or how I started saying that, 
But uh, that's the marketing they don't teach you in school because it's clearly work. So I told the guys at Skybox, maybe print up some shirts. Uh, who is Skybox? And they just have glad you asked on the back. So uh, sometimes things just pop in my head. I don't really understand it, but whatever, it plays. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Promo code RIPPY gets you 20% off. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Greg needs no introduction. He's on a racetrack as I currently read this ad, hanging out. Look like he's having a couple of drinks with Marlins, man. I don't really know what Greg does. He's a real wild card. He you know, dispatched the last pod from the bar. I say I don't know what he does. Greg's always keeping me guessing in the best way possible. But he's also the best meat guy in Mississippi. LB's is absolutely the best place in Mississippi in the world to get meat for that matter. Uh, Oxford's so lucky to have it. Lane Train Special, Keith Carter Special, all kinds of awesome seafood, sausages, Greg's always got something awesome going on. If you're into grilling, don't waste your time at Kroger, Walmart, or any other place. Those people don't care. They're just there to punch in, punch out, and get the job done. Greg actually wants you to have the best experience possible grilling. You need to check them out. Uh, check out the stuffed mushrooms. Those were awesome. Got some uh, filet burgers sent to me over the weekend as well in a picture. Need to keep that trend up. I had a streak there where people were sending me what they had on the grill on social media. Feel free to shoot them a pic. Greg loves that. And it's glad you are enjoying your growing experience. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. What's up, dude? Not too much. Uh, I think you're right. I think when we get to the SEC after discussing Ole Miss, I mean, there's, there's a lot of talking points to be had really just around the country where for the first time in maybe a few years, everybody is beatable to an extent. You know, that I think there's some vulnerability we haven't had in a while, and I think this was bound to happen at some point, just some sort of regression to the mean from what we've been dealing with in the playoffs this past few years. But um, exciting game. Rebs look, look – they look really, really good. Yeah, it's funny to how this narrative has changed, and I've made this point a lot on the podcast just over, like, the last year or so. People misuse the word narrative all the time because, like, it's been, like, bastardized into, like, when you say, oh, well, that's the narrative, like insinuating that's not true, which is not actually what the word means. And that's kind of what the case is here in terms of how Ole Miss and this upcoming game against Alabama and really Ole Miss's ceiling as a whole has been viewed. It's, you know, you thought going into the season, Ole Miss, this could be a nine-win team, you know, if they played well. And, and I guess I thought that was their ceiling. And now that's quickly shifted into they might have a shot against Alabama. And we can get to that in a minute. But Last night obviously played a big role with how well they played, but with the way this offense has performed and really all you needed to see was marginal defensive improvement. I think you've gotten certainly more than that. It's turned into a discussion of, you know, do they have an outside shot at kind of shaking up the West? I wouldn't necessarily bank on it, but we talked about about a week or two ago, about 10 and two being a real possibility. And now I don't know what the like ceiling possibility is. It really could be anything. Has that changed for you at all? No. I mean, if anything, it's gotten murkier to where I'm sitting here and, you know, two weeks we go to Tuscaloosa and it's a winnable game, you know, and that's just an improvement from week zero that it has to be nice for Ole Miss fans to hear because that was a, a chalked up loss on the schedule. Understandably, by the way, that's not – you know, unrealistic to say that. That's what damn near every team in the country has been dealing with for years with Alabama. But, I mean, they, they're they still very good, and but they looked incredibly vulnerable and, you know, with just some moderate 
play on defense, Ole Miss's side, on Ole Miss's side, I mean, they're just going to be so difficult to deal with, Alabama included. I mean, it's just going to be a problem for every team on their schedule. And, I mean, they're, they're tough. They're just – they're going to be an out that or a game that no one wants to see. Yeah, so. could not agree more on that. And it's – you know, we'll get to the Alabama part here in a bit, but it's also a little bit of – like, you know, I, as I was going down, I think I had to write a pre – like season prediction for some website I'm freelancing for. I actually don't even remember where or when it was, but it was like, you know, Alabama certainly locked that into loss, probably A&M, but you never know. It's an Oxford. And that's quickly turned into, I would definitely like wager on Ole Miss beating A&M and Oxford at this point. Uh, I, I feel pretty confident about that. So I think that speaks to some of the shift as well. And really, like you mentioned, just the overall vulnerability of the SEC and it extends beyond that, but like, LSU looked better last week, but we've, we've eviscerated them enough on this show. Like, yeah. our points well stated there. Auburn looks better than I thought, but other than that, it's just a lot of a lot of average. You know, I don't think Arkansas is bad. I don't think Auburn's bad. It's just – it seems like if you can knock off Alabama, it's there for the taking. And I guess the main reason for that shift in change was how Ole Miss looked last night. They went 61-21, scored on six of seven drives in the first half. It was really six of six. The only one they didn't score on was there. They ran out of time before halftime. Costas who hit a pretty good ball on the 54-yard field goal, just missed it a little bit right. That was pretty flawless. I say flawless offensively. That was as well as they played offensively uh, really for, for the entire year. I mean, they were pretty damn good in that first stretch there in that Louisville game. I mean, they've, they've been good the whole year, but you get what I'm saying. Like, it was like, wow, this looks scary. Right. They looked scary for the entire time the starters were in the game last night. Like, uh, Tulane literally could not do anything to stop them, even when Ole Miss tried to stop themselves. I mean, I think we just take how efficient this team is for granted sometimes. Yes. You know, there were some things in the first two games where, you know, some people, some fans are like, man, you know, the offensive line looking, you know, a little shaky. You're like, oh, Drummond's dropping a few balls. Like, you know, what's kind of going on here? And then you look up and it's like, this team put up 61 points in three quarters against like a very competent two lane team. And I was rewatching the game this morning and I was just sitting there and it was 19 to 14, I think in the second quarter at one point. And then I'm kind of scrolling through and next thing I know it's 40 to 14 and there's three minutes left in the, in the first half, you know, they just, they strike so quick. Doesn't matter if they're on schedule or off schedule because it's, the way the team is coached and the way they prepare, it's at, at damn near every series is a four-down series. So they're never stressed. They're so smooth, so efficient. And, I mean, playing in the rain, having to throw the ball like we have and run the ball, you know, it's so difficult. I mean, that place is a monsoon. I was not there, but from the pictures and videos, it looked crazy. And it didn't look like they missed a beat at all. And it's just – I just think we sometimes fans take it for granted for granted, you know, some of the miscues they'll have on the offensive line or whatnot, but then you look up and it's just an absolute, you know, just ass beating, really. Yeah, it really was. I'm glad you brought up that point about, you know, you look up and how quickly the scoreboard changed if you're not, you know, locked into an old miss game. Cause you know, it should have been so like it gets like 19-7, Tulane misses the chip shot field goal on a drive. He thought they were gonna score the touchdown, which is good for the old miss defense to kind of bow their bow their neck to use the cliche there. But they score again after that. So it gets like, what, I don't know, like 26-14. But point being, Ole Miss scores one play immediately on the deep ball. I think it was to Mingo. I can't remember which one that was. There was one to Sanders and one to Mingo. It was yeah, Mingo after the onside yeah. kick. 
Then the defense forces a three and out where Tulane doesn't go, doesn't uh, pick up a yard, and the offense scores on a non-play 61-yard drive in three minutes, and it's 40 to 14 at halftime. Tulane gets obviously one, one there at the end. That I think if if you're talking about really trying to drop the hammer on teams, Ole Miss would have liked to have gotten clearly one more stop there and maybe even right. punched in another touchdown. But point being, it's like, okay, Tulane's kind of hanging around in this game, had a little bit of bad luck, and then all of a sudden it was like, actually, they don't have a shot. I, we can go with a number of different places offensively to start. I had, I'll had i just kind of go through some notes from re-watching the game this afternoon. Uh, early on in the game, uh, they there was clearly – I don't know how much of this was weather-induced or just game plan-induced in general, but there was clearly an effort to establish the run early on in this game. Uh, I thought this was one of Jerry Ely's better games. I think he finished with like – 15 carries for 105 yards. I believe that was Ole Miss's first 100-yard rusher this season. One of the things I met, noticed watching him last night that you mentioned is that he doesn't always kind of run through contact grade in terms of balance, and then sometimes it seems like he's avoided it. I thought there were a couple runs, particularly early in that game, where he did a lot. He was it seemingly, at least to me, like untrained eye, looked better in that regard as well as to kind of seeking out the contact as well. I thought he ran a lot more physical than he has. I, I thought he played really well and really kind of appears to be, I guess, rounding into form for the lack of a better phrase. I thought he was awesome. Yeah, I thought he played very well on all facets, you know, whether it was blocking, running, catching. Um, he was more physical last night, which leads me to believe that maybe he's a little bit more healthy than he has been the past two games. I mean, he's still coming off an injury. Um yeah, he looked great. I think the whole running back group is just so solid, and they all have different abilities that show out throughout the game. I mean, Henry Parrish's cut on that touchdown was in the rain. That kind of balance is so stupid. I mean, you just – not a lot of guys in the country can do something like that. And, you know, just that's what this offense is built off of is you got to be able to run the ball efficiently. And so far this year, you know, maybe they don't have the big stat guys like you mentioned, but – in terms of just being able to do it, just to keep teams honest, they've done a great job, especially uh, last night. Yeah, I think you're dead on with that. And it became pretty clear once Ole Miss was having success running the ball. I guess if there was a case to be made for Tulane to hang around in the game, and you know, it's kind of real weird the way, like if you put yourself in the opponent's shoes, if I'm like was a Tulane fan or involved with the Tulane program or covering the Tulane program, whatever, and sitting there thinking, okay, like, what would be kind of a realistic goal to hang around in this game in terms of stopping this Ole Miss offense? And I was just sitting there thinking, it's like, could you hold them to 35 or 40? Like, could you, could you make them pedestrian in that regard? Like, and what became clear once Ole Miss was able to run the football early, there was really no prayer because Tulane secondary was not hanging with Ole Miss in the passing game. Um, you know, for as inferior talented as they were, that was the weak point of their secondary. They also got very tired. So to me, once it, you know, they started running the ball the first quarter and the quarter and a half pretty well. I didn't necessarily feel this game was going to be close just because I wasn't sure how Tulane was going to stop them barring a turnover and how they even got a turnover in the first half, right? Henry Parrish fumbles the ball where the guy just puts his helmet right on it. And it still didn't matter. Like it was just a flawless performance. I guess kind of shifting it elsewhere to kind of, I guess, to formulate a question somewhere within that. Jonathan Mingo, six catches, 136 yards. I felt like this game was the full Jonathan Mingo experience. I mean, hell, there was one point, I'm making sure I have this right in my notes, on like the first or second drive, it was over two drives, he had a hell of a catch in traffic, then a drop on a screen, 
Then another hell of a catch in traffic on the neck or drop on the next drive that would have set up a decent sized play. And then another pretty acrobatic catch in traffic where he also slides and kind of gets past the first down marker as well as he's going down. What have you seen from him so far as far as, you know, progressing and, and what kind of makes him what you guys thought he would be when you recruited him? Because it seems like some of the bad's still there, but also he's gotten a hell of a lot better with his strengths. Yeah, I mean, drops last night wise, I mean, it's so, it's, it's yeah, right. hard to catch the ball. And, you know, especially just getting used to it early. I know he had one like early on, but no, I mean, he's really coming into form. I mean, he's looked so much bigger. I think last night, I really was the first time you brought it up the last time we talked, but last night I was like, God damn, he's big. I mean, he's big. <laughs> he just looks much better than he has physically. You know, he's getting so much more consistent with routes and catching the football, and he's just a dynamic a dynamic addition to the offense with the other two guys who, um, who also played well last night. You know, Drummond, again, is just scoring touchdowns like nobody's business. But, you know, we saw this in him. You know, he, we knew he was very athletic. He played some defense in high school. We knew he was going to transition to receiver, and that was going to be his position in college. It was really just consistency and, you know, development. You know, it happens over time. With him, he was a guy that I wanted to see improve throughout fall camp and season and whatnot, and he definitely has. He's made his mark on this offense uh, very clear, very early, and it's, it's huge to have three guys you trust out there. Yeah, because it gets to a point where opposing defenses, it's like, well, what are you going to do if you can't just – you know, put a second corner or slot corner or whatever the hell the case may be on the guy and, you know, not necessarily quote unquote have to worry about him as much. That's a huge deal. Cause like it, it, there's only so much you can do as an opposing defense piggybacking off of that. Drummond has five catches last night. Uh, Sanders had four. Yeah. I wanted to make sure I had that correctly. I know we, you rewatch the game. I rewatch the game. There's a difference between rewatching the game and like when you, like what you were used to do in terms of like watching tape, because you get different angles and stuff, right? It's very different. Yeah, absolutely. Incredibly different. So I'm not asking you to know what Tulane's defense was doing per se, but do you think there's been a little bit of a shift after Drummond's had two pretty huge games to where they've diverted attention, maybe away from Sanders a little bit more and more towards Drummond. And that's opened things up for those other two a little bit because four catches for Sanders, but they missed on a couple. And two, there were a couple of times where Corral tucked it and run where it looked like he might've had something with him. I just seems like he's drumming success early on is opening up things for the other two. Yeah. I don't know if they're like shading Drummond by any means, but he's just moving around the formation so much that it's really just a, he's kind of playing in this like wildcat position where he's in the slot, he's outside, he's in the backfield. So if you're a defensive defensive coordinator watching Ole Miss film, you're like, all right, where the hell is 11? What are they doing with him? Because they've been giving the ball when he's in the backfield, you know, not as a handoff, but, you know, he's coming around for screens or just shallow crossers or whatnot. Um, so I think just the focus on figuring out what they're doing with 11 frees up, you know, 13 and one to be able to do what they need to do. And they can get behind the defense. They can beat you shallow. You know, they can do a whole a ton of different things with all three receivers. So it's hard to just kind of guess and game plan on how you're going to play all three of them when they do all do everything, basically. You know, they can beat you deep and short. You know, they're just tough stuff. Did you notice that there's made – you feel free to say no if there's nothing there, but is there something through last night or three games with Mingo in particular that you've noticed 
A, either, wow, he's gotten a hell of a lot better than that, or he didn't have that in his game this time a year ago? Uh, I guess I just, that's, that's tough. I would say he looked so much more comfortable with, his ball, with the ball in his hands. Yeah. That would be the one thing I've noticed where he just seems more confident. I mean, he's just a load to bring down. And now that he's caught a few passes, has his confidence up, uh, from where it was last year, you can just tell that he just wants the ball. And when he gets it, he knows exactly what he's going to do with it. And that's huge for him. I think that was a good answer to probably not such a great question because once you said that, there were – I actually had this written down. There were a couple instances last night where he did catch it. And it wasn't even necessarily making a man miss, but, like, when he was maybe facing Corral on a couple balls and the defenders behind him, he made kind of a nifty twist or turn or move or tuck or whatever it is to kind of get away from the defender and get six, seven more yards down the field, as opposed to just kind of getting stuck immediately after he caught the ball. And so that probably speaks to what you're talking about a little bit. And then there's Matt Corral, obviously. I mean, I don't really know what else you're supposed to say at this point. I mean, he's got what nine touchdowns through the air, no turnovers was 23 at 31 last night for 335, three touchdowns, seven total. He ran it four times. Ran it in four times, excuse me, 13 total carries. Kiffin mentioned after the game, like, obviously, it's not really by design. They don't really want him running that much. But he said really a lot of the time it's the read, where if they crash in on one of the reads, he's going to pull it. And that happened a couple of times. Also, with that said, there were at least two of the touchdown runs. It looked like it was – maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But looked like there was some sort of design run option for him on one of those plays. And it wasn't a read option concept. Thoughts on his performance as a whole, I guess, before we kind of dive into a couple other things related to him. I mean, I think the best word to describe, I mean, he is just so comfortable in this offense. He's so smooth. He, there, he's not forcing anything. This whole year, you know, I think this whole interception thing that happened to him last year has created, uh, what's your favorite word, this narrative. Narrative, but it's false narrative. That narrative can be false. They just aren't always false. That, that he is just, you know, so erratic, you know, Jameis Winston-esque, you know, just cannot, you know, bad reads, bad throws, whatnot. But that's just – it's becoming more of the norm, or I guess the better way to say it would be, those games were such an anomaly – that this year it makes it makes so much more sense. Now, I had to, you know, spit that out. That was <laughs> that was not a great delivery. I knew what but, you were getting at, though, for sure. Well, Except yeah, those yeah. were those were as you get more games under their belt. That was certainly an anomaly and not something that he struggles with. To where like Bo Wallace actually struggled with decision making at times sporadically through a long period of his career. Where that's not the case at Corral. That is a perfect example. Yes. Where it's a guy, it's, it's not, it's a game to game thing with Bo Wallace where it's like, Hey, maybe he screws up this game. Maybe he doesn't. I know what they used to say, good Bo, bad Bo or whatever. Yeah. Where it's Corral. You don't have to worry about that. You just watch him. He's so consistent, especially this year. And even last year, you know, for most of the games, he was incredibly consistent, not forcing the issue. And now they've added so much more to the offense. They're running the ball well. Everything's coming together. And it's just showing, you know, one, the scheme that Levy and Kiffin have is ridiculous. And two, when you have this guy as the trigger man, it's damn near unstoppable. And it really does – he runs this show, Corral does, and he's playing it. He's the best quarterback in the country. And that's not a from a fan perspective. I'm not – I mean, I'm a fan of Ole Miss. I'm not that, you know, into it, I guess. I am, but I'm not. Like, he is the best quarterback in the country by far. 
Yeah, a buddy of mine texted me last night, Walker Roberts, and you know, like he texted me and was like, am I crazy to take Corral over anyone else in the country or think he's the best quarterback in the country? And I just responded with like, I mean, no, it, one, it's not crazy, clearly. But like two, who else would you – like all rosters neutral. Like if you had two teams where the rosters are pretty much even, what quarterback are you picking over him to win one game right now? Yeah. I don't think it exists. Is there anyone else? No. Young, Bryce Young, maybe. Yeah, but I'd still probably take Corral. Definitely taking Corral. You it, know, I'm not taking Sam Howell. I'm not taking Spencer Rattler. Um you know, I think there's some of the group of five kids like Willis and the Nevada quarterback who I'm sure are good if anyone watches them play. Who knows? But there's no one else I'm taking at Yeah, all. Not, not even close. And the, with the part you mentioned about being in control and being in command, and look, I like Bo Wallace. I thought he was somewhat underappreciated from a sheer toughness standpoint where that guy really battled through quite a few injuries towards the end of his career and put out a couple really gutsy performances and really consistently put on a pretty good product despite rarely being fully healthy. So I don't want to turn this into like a dump on Bo Wallace segment in comparison to Corral, but I think it also fits in terms of what you're talking about, not only decision-making, but being in command and being in control where the LSU game in 2014 comes to mind immediately with the Bo Wallace thing where, of course, Classic Hugh Freeze throws him under the bus afterwards, but he throws the pick instead of letting Wonderlick have a chance at a field goal at the end. But before that drive and after, he just kind of came unglued. He was kind of barking at people in the stands. Like, he was not poised and not composed or put together. And that happened a couple not, – not that, I guess, um, visibly it didn't happen a lot. But there were times where he was flustered and really kind of lost his composure. Like, Corral's pretty unflappable. Like, if he throws a pick or – you know, God forbid, two picks early in Tuscaloosa. I don't think that's going to phase him. I don't think that's going to come unglued. And as big – he's going to come unglued. And as big of an anomaly as those two games were last year, I kind of give him more of a pass on the LSU thing, as I've mentioned quite a few times, wet, shorthanded, trying to make shit happen. Point being, I think part of kind of going through those struggles and Le- Kiffin leaving him in to throw a six pick after he's already thrown five at Arkansas, like – kind of built him for this as well, too, because there's nothing really that's going to phase him at this point. I don't think there's a scenario where you see him lose his composure, and I think that's huge to have for a team that now has some lofty aspirations. Yeah, I think it's all kind of come full circle with the way Kiffin handled that Arkansas game. And, I mean, I think I've said on here, but that Arkansas game was talked about in the facility for, like, the entire year last year. It was never forgotten. You know, it was just – Kiffin and Levy were so frustrated with the way the offense came out. And they, you know, they took some blame themselves. And they were like, how do we not see this coming? Like, what was going on? And Matt's play and everything. And it was just, you know, they're going to be ready for that game, put it this way, next year. Because that they're not going to let that happen again. And, you know, he's just – Matt has just grown up so much. He's so much more mentally tough uh, than he was a few years back. And – I mean, they're just going to be a problem to play. And I guess going back to Bo Wallace, you know, just they're so different as quarterbacks. Bo was a really good SEC quarterback. You know, my freshman year was the Alabama uh, home game. I mean, he was spectacular that entire game. But then you saw games like LSU, like Arkansas that year in 14, where, like, you're never going to have to worry about that kind of game with Corral because he just doesn't have that in him. And I just – He's tough. I mean, he's got to be the Heisman favorite right now, isn't he? Like numbers wise. Yeah, I would think so. I was actually trying to look up some statistics earlier this morning. 
and ESPN, I don't know what sort of nerd database is out there, but every single website had the same error as ESPN. So I don't know if there's some sort of main server or what, not really the point. It was not up to date. They had him in like six touchdowns. So I couldn't figure out where he was actually at yardage wise in comparison. And I was too lazy to compare it with the old Miss site. I would like to have everything spoon fed to me like I'm four, but he's got to be, he's got to be pretty close. I mean, excuse me, he's definitely the Heisman favorite, but he's got to be pretty close to the top of the country in most every major statistical category. And yeah. to add on to that, he hasn't thrown an interception yet. So they're really building something there in terms of like, I call it a hype machine, I guess. But there was that point last year in 2019, Burrow has that game against Texas early on. And that's really when this, okay, this LSU offense is real. Burrow's pretty good thing took off. And yes, it's not as good as an opponent at Texas, but as flawless as he was last night, you know, it's kind of starting to take off. And if he goes and has a hell of a performance in Tuscaloosa, clearly it would help if they won the game. Then it's really going to take off. And so, yeah, I would put him as the Heisman favorite. Again, we're three weeks into this thing. Not that that matters too much at this point. But, yeah, I would have to say he's the favorite. Um, and then the last thing I guess we'll get to before we kind of bounce around to a couple other topics. I know they don't want to run him that much, but – the thing that got lost in here's my favorite word coming up again, the whole Rich Rodriguez narrative is that Matt Corral couldn't run. And I don't know. I know they don't want to run him as often as they have, but it was important at times in the Louisville game because they struggled in other parts of the running game. And not that they needed it last night, but it, that didn't make it any less impressive, particularly a couple of the drops, right? That first QB draw Tulane brought a ton of pressure off the outside. And then from what I noticed, I'm not a football X's and O's savant. One of those dudes in the middle did not go where he was supposed to go for Tulane because they had two guys end up in the same gap. And I can't remember if it was Broker or uh, Warren, doesn't matter. Like basically blocked two dudes in one, but the play worked perfectly. And so like he does, they don't need him in the running game as much, but he kind of reminding people he can run and it is effective to use conservatively, which for having a guy that's quote unquote a capable runner, like that's got to add at least some sort of additional element to this offense, right? I mean, something they have to prepare for. He's definitely a capable runner. He's actually a more than capable runner. He's, he's actually wildly efficient as a runner. He, uh, he's a smart as a runner. You know, he sees the gap, especially when, like, the pocket breaks down and he gets up field quick, makes the decision quick. I just really need him to slide more. You know, he, he is – especially, uh, you know, last night when the field's wet, it's like, man, like, y'all just – you're going to win this game. Like, just get out, you know. And I, obviously, like, what Kiffin said is true. Like, some of these, you know, the linebackers crashing down and he's just pulling the ball and going. Like, that's part of the offense. Don't take that away. But some of these other ones where like, the play breaks down, you're running, like, he's just got to be a little bit smarter because what, even if he doesn't get a real injury, you know, those hits, you know, just compound over time and, you know, he just needs to be as healthy and efficient as possible for the rest of this season because I'm sure we'll get to it. But this season, the potential has changed pretty dramatically, I would say, this week. Just the, the outlook and the mindset of it all. I think as an Ole Miss fan and college football fan in general, there's a lot of things kind of brewing and he's got to be healthy for it. Yeah, I, I was going to save this for later, but we can just go ahead and get it out of the way now. Look, rainy day. Um, you know, not, they didn't, well, Altmar wasn't available, but as you've seen the last two weeks, and to your point, if he goes down, this ship is sunk. Like, I mean, I guess there's, a, I mean, 
look, I guess there's an argument to be made. You hope this never happens and this has to be answered as we've talked about a bunch. Is there a way they sort of tailor some sort of offense to utilize Plumlee strengths before they go to one of those? One, they do it, but two, it won't be the same. But all that context in mind, they need him healthy because this thing is done if, if he's not. Like if he misses yeah, extended amounts yeah, it's not an Ole Miss-centric issue. I think we've said it multiple times. When the starting quarterback goes down, the team gets worse. You know, that's, yes. that's how it works, you know, with the exception of Alabama and Hurts and Tua. But, or yeah. Shea Patterson. Yeah, or Shea, oh, golly, or Shea Patterson. I remember that game. Was Tamu's was – Arkansas was like the first game that Tamu started that year. And they, they should have won the game. They Remember, they pissed down their leg terribly. He uh, There was a late fumble. Yeah, they were up like 31 to 7 or something. And they yeah. ended up losing Bielema. I think I remember because they said that uh, the athletic director at Arkansas was like visibly frustrated after Arkansas won the game <laughs> because they had to keep, they, had, they couldn't fire him like on spot. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, it, if Corral goes down, you know, getting back to it, it, it's a problem. But it's a conversation that doesn't even really need to be had until it's, you know, it's had. So. Offensive line looked much better running the football. Uh, you know, Ole Miss had a lot of success pretty much doing whatever they wanted to uh, early on in the game, running the ball. I thought the offensive line, uh, you know, Kiffin got – Kiffin did this weird thing where pro football focus graded him uh, out poorly – or, excuse me, graded him out as the third best offensive line in the country in week two, like specific to week two. Kiffin basically just kind of stuffed the numbers nerds in a locker saying that they don't really know a ton about watching his team's film type of thing. It wasn't, it didn't get as much play because it wasn't a video press conference type of deal on Tuesday when he talked to the media or Wednesday, but he walked it back a little. But point being, I imagine Kiffin will be pleased for the most part what he saw from the offensive line, particularly as it pertained to run blocking. They had some penalties. They had a couple breakdowns in the pass protection. Orlando Umana seems to be still getting acclimated to playing after nearly a two-year drought because of injury. He's certainly got to get better. Um, just from your, you know, being able to evaluate him on television, what you've seen from him, I actually brought up a point you made on the postgame show last night with Jason Neal, where it was kind of like the one, the all Pac-12 thing does not mean anything. Two, you know, it's kind of, you kind of said it, I'll believe it when I see it with these Pac-12 transfer kids. Do you think it's, he has the ability I guess, per se, to be a good starter on this Ole Miss offensive line and he's still just rounding into form? Or do you think it's a question of him not necessarily maybe having it? No, no, no. I, I actually tried to, you know, do my best to watch him earlier today when I, when I rewatched the game. And I, I thought he's been playing fine. You know, I think there's a weird timing issue that he's had. He's had a few false starts, a few bad snaps and whatnot. I think that's more of a, you know, getting into rhythm, getting into shape getting a hold of the offense and the speed they're going at. Um, but I think he's actually held up pretty well. He's got – he's pretty quick. He's got pretty good feet for a bigger guy. And, you know, at center, you just really have to know what's going on at all times. I think he's still rolling into form on getting what's going on with the offense and everything. Uh, he's looked fine. I, he's not been the issue. I think uh, the ta broker and James have played decent. I think they've had a few rough drives – but like I mentioned earlier, you know, <laughs> we're just kind of take picnic nitpicking, sorry, on things that are issues with this offense because they've just been so damn good that it's like, okay, well, how can they get even better? And the offensive line is definitely the version of that where, you know, that's where they have to go 
improve a little bit, but they put up 61 points in three quarters against a pretty competent team. You know, it's, it's hard to get too frustrated at everything. Um, it's just tough, you know, they're, they're good. No, I agree with you on the tackle part of it too, because that was actually one of the notes I'd written down. It is absolutely very nitpicky, but it's worth kind of, you know, glancing at and diving into was that, yeah, I do think they've had a couple of tough drives. One of the corral sacks was a pretty rough miss from broker. Um, yeah. And then the one where Corral got – like, Kiffin mentioned leaving him in a drive too long, and you kind of talked about it a little bit. It wasn't necessarily a running thing, but he he got – almost looked like he got his knee – like the defender went in low on that last drive he was in, and it almost looked like he could have had his knee rolled up a little bit. It's like, all right, that was the point where it's like, let's get him out of the game. And then I think, ironically enough, he ran the next play before uh, – like ran uh, – like tucked it and ran before they got him out of the game. But, yeah, I agree. There have been some shaky moments with the tackles, but – it's yeah, it's fine. And then with the Umana thing, you talked about some some you know rhythm issues with the snap things. A lot of that, some of that has to be the pace they go at offensively, right? Because talk about a drastic change. Utah does the exact opposite, or at least I imagine for most of the time he was there, they've done that exact opposite. I haven't watched much of them this year, but it was very slow, very methodical, very ball control. I imagine just the general tempo not only has to affect him from a uh, not that he's out of shape, but the, the base level of endurance you have to have to kind of keep up. And I imagine some of that carries over to the snap count, the snap cadence as well. A little bit, yeah. I mean, it's just a different game, different offense, different terminology. So they're going a lot quicker. He's got to be in damn good shape, and I think he's getting there. You know, game shape is a lot different from just, you know, being able to go out there and practice shape. Um but he, I think he's been fine. I think they're going to be fine. Um, there, there's just a few things they've got to clean up and whatnot. But uh, I think that for just Umanu's sake, it's all about just getting into form, understanding your job and what you need to be doing, especially as like the captain of that offensive line. So they, they'll get there. You know, I think they're going to be just fine. And I think he's going to be just fine. And the way the, the last thing before we get to some defensive stuff, Neil talked about this a little bit last night. The way Kiffin and Levy utilizes, like, plays to, one, the weaknesses of opposing defense, but also to the strengths of the guys they have. Like, if there was a point where, say, one of the tackles or someone on the offensive line started struggling pretty badly or you had an injury, you've got two guys who are as good as anyone is the business of kind of scheming around that or kind of mitigating any sort of weakness there is at one particular spot, I guess to use a skill position example, well, one, I guess for offensive line, it would kind of be like getting the ball out quicker. And a lot of times they do get the ball out so quickly. It doesn't really matter. Like, of course, you'd like to be, you know, better on the offensive line at times than you have been, but I guess there's a ways to adjust to it as well. And I think they've done a good job with that. And to use a skill position example, tight end was a position they utilized quite a bit last year it was an important piece of the offense I think some of the Yaboa stuff was a little overblown and he was kind of riding the high of three two three four early good games in the first half of that season but you know Casey Kelly had a bit of an injury Hudson Wolf hasn't played a ton and Chase Rogers strength is clearly blocking and so they've adapted to that and they've used Drummond out of the H-back slot and other things like the offense has gotten better minus Elijah Moore and not having really a pass catching threat at tight end, which kind of speaks to the genius of Kiffin and Levy. Right. I mean, they, they're going to adjust to the players they have, you know, they're going to put the players in positions to be successful. Whereas, you know, I guess the, the other guy would be like Mike Leach where 
great. I was going there. You beat me to it. I was going right there as well. So I was about to say not everyone does that. Yeah, no, not everyone does do that. You know, like Leach, they run the air raid and they're going to do it whether they have, you know, Barry Sanders at running back, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. They're just going to run that system and, and Kiffin and Levy would be like, all right, who are our players? What are we going to do? You know, last year it was get Elijah Moore the ball and get out of the way. And this year they're using kind of a platoon at tight end and they're being efficient and Rogers is a pretty good blocker and can keep up in the SEC at that position. Uh, they've got, you know, two or three other guys who maybe they're not healthy now, but they're fully capable of playing, but they just might not be the emphasis on the offense that Yaboa had early on last year. So it's not a detriment to the offense by any means. It's just a difference of, you know, kind of play calling and priorities of what they're trying to do. We can get more on the state part of this because I had some questions to throw your way once we get to the SEC portion of it. But just a quick aside, because I was going to emphasize that not everyone does that. And, you know, most coaches try to do it to some degree. Not everyone, very few are as good as Kiffin and Levy are at doing it. Where with the state example, with the, in the SEC, can you, you really can't get away with the whole, this is what we do, this is how we do it, and by God, we're going to do it no matter what. I feel like that's easier to get away with in the Pac-12 in particular. And at times, given the – I think the, the Big 12 defense is being bad has improved a little bit over the last half decade. And I think some of that's a little outdated. But when Mike Leach was in the Big 12, there was a lot of really shitty defenses. Yeah. You can't do that in the SEC, can you? I, I just say, who's been successful just doing what they do? Because Leach seems hell-bent on doing that, and it's not working. Well, I mean, I think it just – how can you watch what Nick Saban does every single year right. and be like, you know, adapting is stupid. <laughs> adapting is dumb and we're not going to do it. Um, whereas that team, you know, every single year they add a new wrinkle to that offense uh, to, you know, improve on what they've already, you know, just basically perfected. Um, I mean, Dan Mullen at Mississippi State, like, I mean, they ran their stuff that a lot of quarterback run, a lot of quarterback power. But if you watch that game yesterday, I mean, Dan Mullen is a, damn good football coach he may be as annoying as any human ever and his wife may like be a little creepy but the guy can really coach football and uh, like he he adapts as much as any coach he realized Emory Jones could not read the field and like could not complete consistent passes so he just spread him out and ran the ball down their throats and did it the entire second half with real success um I mean LSU in 19, you just saw them. They just completely changed that entire program's identity on offense. Uh, of course, they want to get back to it, and they're trying their darndest, as Ogeron will tell you. Um, I mean, Kentucky. Look at Kentucky this year. I mean, I know they looked like dog shit <laughs> against a terrible Chattanooga team yesterday, but they brought in a different offense coordinator, completely changed their scheme, wanted to be able to throw the ball, and they can do it now, you know. So it's just like how, how you can just have this one system. And, yeah, maybe the game planning, you know, week to week, there's different things you try to emphasize. But at its core, it's the same thing. You know, you watch Ole Miss, and that's not the case at all game by game. You know, they do so many different things that it's just crazy to think that there's coaches out there. And there are. And Mike Leach is not the only one, by the way, that just are so, like, dead in their system that it just doesn't matter. Cough, cough, Rich Rodriguez. 
<laughs> I, I was I hadn't even thought wrong. of that yet, but you're you're definitely you're I'm glad we're on the uh catch it a uh, straight I'm glad you're throwing straight bullets at Rich Rodriguez. Uh that was a well played one because I hadn't even thought of that. The last mm-hmm. thing I'll add before we get to back to some old miss stuff and then bounce around the SEC. The saving part of it is a great point. And even it's a, you can look at it year to year and you're absolutely right having a different wrinkle every year, but it's also the the gradual shift like over time. Like the the Saban teams of 08, 09, 2010 and all that run the ball, run the ball, manage the game at quarterback, play awesome defense. Then Hugh Freeze beats beats him a couple of times. He gets very pissed at the RPO stuff and guys being downfield, dynamic quarterback type thing. And now look exactly what he's doing. Like he may not have liked it, but he knew that's where the sport was going and adapted. So of course adaptation is good. Uh, other people could learn from it. That was really about all the offensive notes I had. I mean, what else can you say about this offense through four games? You know, as good as the defense has been, this offense not skipping a beat is every bit as much of the reason why you think they have a chance in two weeks and why the, you know, what we talked about at the top is the expectations keep changing by the week for this team and the ceiling keeps going higher and higher. And the other half of that is defense. And I thought Ole Miss played did you think last night was their best game defensively? Because I did. And I thought to, there were a couple reasons why. And I'll let you kind of rebut this any way you want to. Tulane's offense, that Chip Long guy who was at Notre Dame in 18 and got fired more of a personality standpoint, Kiffin talked about it after and articulated better than I could. I don't know how I, – I, I don't remember how I worded the question to the Tulane guy getting him this answer out of him. But to, uh, Kiffin described it as – putting you in conflict a lot and all the pre-snap motion and the bunch formations, you have to be very disciplined defensively in terms of assignment. And I know that's a cliche, but I think Tulane really, really makes you do that. And Ole Miss held them to 21 points. And I don't think they scored. Well, they didn't score in the second half. I I thought it was as good of a game as they played. Um, And while at times Tulane seemed to have success running the football early in the game, I thought after the first drive and a half, Ole Miss was a lot better particularly on the interior against the run. And I think that's a huge positive side heading into who you're playing in two weeks. Yeah. I mean, if you watch the game again and you realize how Tulane scored, you know, the first time they scored was because Parrish, you know, fumbled the ball and, you know, it was a great hit. You know, it happens. Uh, They're, you know, on the 15, 20 yard line score. The next time they score was on like just a, kind of just a broken assignment on the defense. They missed, missed a tackle and the guy ran for 30 yards. Um, you don't want to see it, but, you know, it happened. And then the last time they scored, they, it was just another missed assignment. So they really it was just three explosive plays, a fumble recovery and then two other explosive plays. Besides that, I mean, they played pretty well. I mean, they were just confident. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew what scheme they were running. They uh, play recognition was good. Like they never got caught off guard by anything Tulane was doing. Um, I wish they would get the quarterback a little bit more. I still am concerned about their ability against a real offensive line like Alabama's to create constant pressure where if you don't against Bryce Young, you're in trouble. Um, But all in all, I mean, I think the DBs played really well. I know that it was a rainy game, so they weren't going to be able to throw it down your throat by any means, but this was definitely the best game they've played. And, I mean, I don't know how you think about it, but if this defense holds, you know, every opponent to under 28 points for the rest of the year. Who are they losing to? Is this team undefeated? I mean, that's I'm not like – Yeah, that's I'm, not a prediction of undefeated, but to just your point, if they have – if they are able to hold everyone to 28 or less, who, do you, who would you bank on them losing to? 
Yeah, I mean, I was just messing around. I've been messing around with people all day, and like we have a group text my family, and I was like, "Is I was just saying, I was like, is, is Ole Miss the best team in the country?" <laughs> You're like, "Are we? Are we gonna go win the national championship?" And obviously, I'm just messing around and joking, but I'm not joking that it's this team, this defense plays up to its the standard that they've tried to set these first three games, and they hold everybody to under 28 points. This team is going to go undefeated. I just – that will happen. I think that is not a bold statement or nonsense or red and blue glasses. But, I mean, that's just kind of the way this offense is going that I just don't see someone stopping this offense to, you know, holding them to 21 points. Like, that just doesn't even seem mathematically possible with just the way that they can attack you, the way they go for it on fourth downs. I just – only three scores in a game any, at any point in this season would be shocking to me. Right, you didn't feel like they played great against Louisville and what, that ended up as 43 points? It was like they were okay offensively, like pretty good. But yeah. the Himes, they kind of stalled out, and then you look up and they still have 43 points. I mean, hell, there's that stat that Cole Kubelik put out where Tulane, Ole Miss has had 600 yards of offense uh, six times in 13 games under Kiffin, and they had 13 total 600-yard games in their previous 1,200 games, which has to be close to their history at least the last 30, 40 years. Not a math guy. Don't check me on that. But, yeah, I think you're exactly right. If you can just get a base level of competency from this defense, as we kind of said all along, they're going to be pretty damn good. And they, of course, need to stay healthy because there are some depth concerns. The other thing I was going to kind of toss your way, well, one, I had one question from what you said for that. I was curious last night just watching it. Parrish, does Henry Parrish get critiqued for fumbling there because aren't there just times on a football field where the guy just hits the ball perfectly and no human could hold onto the ball with the way his helmet squared the football? Like what's the critique of Parrish on that fumble? I was just more for my curiosity. I mean, I, I think you critique him at the moment because you're not looking at the replay and you don't see what happens. But I think in reality, when they look at it, you know, to, I guess this morning or whenever they watch the film, they'll probably be like, damn, like, how the hell are you supposed to hold on to that football? It's just a perfect tackle. They won't say that because that's never what you're ever going to say. You're going to tell the guy, you know, get two hands with the damn ball and don't fumble it. But it was a perfect form tackle, you know, just right where the helmet needed to be to make him fumble it. It's wet outside, you know, it's even tougher to grip it. I don't exactly know what the professional critique would be, but I mean, they're, they're going to get on to him still. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I was mostly just curious about that. Reining it back into defense, you've now gotten three games of Chance Campbell. His, to me, and you're the actual evaluator here, so feel free to correct this and tell me, like, where I'm wrong on this. But, man, he goes – he is everywhere. His speed and kind of lateral speed in particular is unbelievable. And the way – the when a quarterback gets out of the pocket, and you saw this last night because I thought Ole Miss got to Pratt early a couple times, particularly with Williams and – uh, Cedric Johnson to where he was not comfortable in the pocket later as the game went on. And every time he escaped and tried to get downfield, Chance Campbell five, six times was closed about 15 yards of space. It felt like in a nanosecond and the kid either got tackled in the back for a gain of two. Just what have you seen from him through three games? Because he really, to you know, the average Joe watching looks all worldly. Yeah. I mean, he's been incredibly good. He's been incredibly efficient. I think he, it all starts with his, his his ability to just recognize what the offense is doing. So he now he's already in position, and then he's a definitely a better than average athlete by probably a lot. You know, he's a very very good athlete, better than I thought he was going to be when he got to campus. So 
you know, if you just combine that with his ability to recognize and dissect the offense, realize what's going on, I mean, it's just a dangerous combination. He's been so good. He is everywhere. He literally is everywhere. He reminds me of he is not Luke Keekley at all. He, I know he said he kind of looks like him. Don't ever compare this guy to Luke Keekley. Luke Keekley was maybe the best linebacker in the NFL for five straight years. But he plays like him where he's just everywhere. He's making the correct calls on defense. He's just doing what the team needs him to do, and he's doing it at a high level. And it's been incredibly impressive. And, you know, for Ole Miss, it's a guy they haven't had on that team in a long time. It really is. Is there something to the fact – because you know who Luke Keekley looks like is Luke Cafferty from Friday Night Lights. And then Chance <laughs> Campbell kind of looks like him. If you have a son that resembles one of them, are you just – is it guaranteed that he goes to the NFL and plays linebacker? Someone in genetics or biology may need to look into that. But they all three kind of look alike, and they're all very good at playing linebacker and really just football in general. To actually turn that into a serious question, yeah. how much – I know <laughs> – the cliche quarterback of the defense and all that shit, that's all well and good. But, sure. and I'm asking you to, this is not an actual, like you, this is not actually quantifiable, but just in your opinion from watching this defense and its improvement through three games, if they don't get him in the portal and you're running with Mark Robinson and Lakia and you're having to play Momo a little bit more, how drastic of an improvement has he made to the defense just single-handedly? And I guess the flip side of that, like, how much worse off would they be without him? Like, how could you quantify the difference he's made to their overall improvement? I think he is a very important part of it. Do I think this defense would suck and be in the cellar like they were last year if he's not on the team? No. I don't think that's fair to the other players. You know, some of the young guys who have stepped up and some of the improvement that some of the guys have made, you know, along with Durkin and Partridge and Kiffin getting together and kind of changing the scheme, you know, I think there's been more to this defense than just Chance Campbell, but it's, you can't understate how important and how good he has been. So you don't want to take it away from the other guys, the coaching staff, but having that pillar there that just is understands what needs to get done on that side of the ball is just huge. And he has been a definitely a main part of the improvement, but he is not, the total improvement, I guess that's the way to best way to say it. You brought up the three explosive plays. Kiffin said in his press conference on one of them, there was a pick play that didn't get called. And he wasn't like salty about it. Cause he even said like, Hey, we try to do the same thing. Like credit them for doing it, but it should have been a penalty. I couldn't see which one he's talking about. I don't know if it was in the screen or what happened because clearly one of both of them looked like busted plays, two of the three, like you mentioned, I don't know which one of them was the screening issue. But um, point being, the other one I was going to get to was the screen. There, was the, that was, there were two instances where Ole Miss has been really good on, like, the perimeter bubble screen or whatever you want to call it, closing in and really kind of cutting that in its tracks. That was really the first time I've seen, the, like, another team so far kind of have success with that. So I would have to think that's somewhat uh, of an anomaly there. So I don't know. Again, like you mentioned, three explosive plays. Other than that, they were pretty good. Um, they didn't have Jake Springer in this game. Kiffin said he does probably anticipate him getting him back for Alabama. One of those things where you wonder if, you know, he had to absolutely play. This was a huge game. Would he have played? Probably. I don't really know that. I'm just speculating. Elsewhere, we did get our first taste of Tavius Robinson late in this game, and he made a nice little stuff on that fourth down that 
not that the game was in question, but really broke Tulane's spirits, it seemed like, when they turned the ball over on downs there. Like, that really seemed like, okay, this team, like, they've, I guess they've had enough, for the lack of a better phrase. Um, kind of, we haven't talked about him much, and he's had whatever injuries he's had. Kiffin doesn't disclose injuries. But he's, like, I've forgotten about him. When I've asked you questions week after week about the defensive line and we talked about depth of being concerned, I've just kind of forgotten about him what would a healthy, fully functioning Tav- uh, Tavius Robinson, excuse me, um, do for this defensive line in terms of depth? Because, and again, I'm not an expert on this, but he was playing, of course, at each end spot, but they looked like he was lined up in different ways a couple of times. What's just kind of your scouting read on him and what he does well? I think just having him as another added piece of depth to this defensive line is the most important thing. You know, he has the ability to get to the passer, which is what they need to improve on. Um, He's a pretty big kid, so, you know, he is not just a total liability against the run. But like I meant, like I just said, I think the most important thing about Tavius Robinson is just having another guy that can rotate in, that can be dynamic, and that can help improve the depth of defensive line just to make the whole unit better. Um, I don't think he's a game-breaker by any means. I think Cedric Johnson and Sam Williams have really established themselves as the guys who are going to be out there to start and to play the majority of the snaps. But Tavius is a very good player. He's long. He's talented. He's smart. And they need him very, very badly to get back healthy and contribute. Absolutely. I think that's uh, that was kind of what I had in mind as well. It's like if nothing, it's another body because they aren't necessarily uh, particularly deep there. I thought Quentin Bivens and KD Hill played a, played a nice game again. Um, Sam Williams, again, I know you talked about earlier about, you know, being a little concerned about them getting consistent pressure against good defensive lines. And that's not strictly like centric on Sam Williams. I wouldn't say you were insinuating this. I just broke down an observation last night. Uh, when he goes every play, which appears that so far they've gotten the whole more consistent buy-in from him. Can anyone block him one-on-one? I mean, I'm sure there's a tackle or two out there that's pretty good, but just, I guess the better way to ask is like, how hard is that guy to actually block and not devote two guys to when he really is going? So Sam, Sam's biggest, he is incredibly difficult to block when he gets a jump with snap. He is so quick. He is so fast. If he beats you around the edge, it just even by a millisecond, it's over. I think Sam's biggest downfall on his traits as an elite pass rusher is he is a little stiff and his ability to bend and that second, you know, pass rush move just hasn't really been there for him, whether it's he hasn't, you know, tried to develop something different. But when it comes to just bull rushing and speed rushing, he is as dynamic as anyone in the SEC. But there's other guys that have kind of developed that second and third move. You know, if the tackle sets out wide and takes away the speed rush, like he can spin back in. Like Sam just doesn't really do that very well. But, you know, if he can figure that out, if Joyner can get it out of him or he understands like how much more efficient he is, if he uses his hands better, he is damn near impossible to stop because of how athletic he is. Kind of going elsewhere, and I'm just really going down my notes list on this. There are a couple of times A.J. Finley got picked on early. I don't know if he played well or not. That is way above my pay grade, but just something I noticed um, last night. 
I don't have the snap counts, but this was actually something I meant to ask you last week and just kind of slipped my mind through the myriad of topics we talked about. We've mentioned this secondary kind of finding some newfound depth and the pieces that they brought in uh, really a lot through the, through the portal um, and kind of getting talent in there and replenishing that talent pool pretty quickly. Even through all of that, um, the first game, I think Jalen Jones played all but two defensive snaps. It may have been three. And for the snaps that mattered, he was in there for almost all of them against Austin P. They started playing a lot of guys at the end, so the numbers got skewed. But that's someone we haven't talked about a ton who's been in the program a long time. I know he had an injury, but have you noticed anything? I, like, I literally mean this open-ended. Have you noticed anything from him this year? Because I don't really know what I thought his role would be. I don't know if I was surprised, not surprised that he's a starter, but I am surprised that he's been on the field as frequently as he has with the talent getting better around him. Just what's kind of your read on, um, on him as a player and a guy that's literally been there since 2016. Right. It's crazy how long he's been there. I mean, it really I is. I wanted to uh, do a story on it. Like what, like what were your thoughts against FSU that night in 2016? Like, do you feel old? How does that, like, how long have you, yeah. he played for Hugh Freeze. Wait, was he, but he wasn't the one that got hurt against FSU. That was Ken Webster that got Ken, hurt in that game, right? Correct. But Jalen Jones, was that was his true freshman year. I don't know yeah, if he played, he was, but just the fact that he was on the roster for a Hugh Freeze coach team at this point is wild to me. Well, he definitely played later in the year because I remember he had a hell of a game against A&M uh, later in that year. He was ended up being like a freshman, uh, like all player of the week or something. He, he's good. He was a hell of a player. He got hurt against that Texas Tech, and it really is just tough. You know, some guys don't come back the same. Um, in terms of this year, you know, I really – I wish I could give you a better answer because just watching film on ESPN Plus, the way I've been trying to at least rewatch the games, is so different from being able to rewind and check out what everyone, all 11 are doing on every play. But I try, to, I try to point out a few guys here and there, every single play on defense to see what I can see. But uh, – I think it's just more a testament that he's healthy and they trust him and he's a smart football player. So you know you can get him out there and play with him with full confidence that he's going to be where he needs to be. And that says more to anything. You know, that some of these guys have added are young and inexperienced. So having a guy back there with him and Kedron, you know, knowing what they – having the experience they've had is probably why he's been playing so much. Yeah, absolutely. That's really what I was kind of getting at. And I'm glad you took it there. Well, I was just like curious of what you what you knew of him like as a kid and as a player, just because there are guys as they slowly put more talent into this program. And I know they're not where they want to be defensively, particularly from a depth standpoint. But there are guys who have lost snap time, uh, like snap, I guess, playing time would be the obvious way to describe that and lost, you know, what they once had a role on a bad defense, their role is now diminished. And a couple of them didn't have an injury and a couple of them are no longer here. And so I just think, again, he hasn't, like you mentioned, it's hard to watch it on the uh, SEC network broadcast replay or whatever, and actually notice things, particularly when guys aren't like the main subject of a play, but I've just, I've really have been impressed about his ability to kind of still be around even through an injury and the defense getting better around him. And I think he hit the nail on the head in terms of having, you know, veteran presence is such a cliche, but that's got to count for something that guy's played a ton of college football. So that was just something I had written down from last week. He's played a shit ton of snaps, and, I, I, you know, I haven't really discussed it yet. I don't really have a ton to add uh, elsewhere defensively or in this game as a whole before we get to some of the SEC stuff. I thought, you know, a couple of times a sign of a good defense was 
they had a short or no it wasn't the short field I don't think there was a time where they got down to the red zone and if Tulane had scored to make it 19 to 14 you were kind of be you would kind of be like okay shit this game might actually start being close Ole Miss had a pretty good third down stop it was really good coverage from Otis Reese on a pass in the right corner of the end zone like they got some pretty crucial stops at crucial moments in the game that kept that game from really ever being competitive, where there's a time in a world where, you know, if they don't get a stop here or there, Tulane could have hung around for two and a half quarters. And, you know, if you look at this from a macro view and really just talk about the season as a whole, that's, I think, the biggest difference with this defense. If they get two stops a half, who are you like? Who do you feel bad? Like, if they get two stops a half in every game, isn't that enough to win almost every game with this offense? It's kind of almost yeah, I mean, like I a twenty-eight that, point rule. Yeah, I think those two are, are you know mutual. They they work together. Two stops, not giving up twenty-eight points, are the are basically the same thing. Uh, they're going to be damn near impossible to beat if they get two stops a game. Two stops, both halves. You're scoring at least. 17 and 21 points in both halves. I mean, that's that's what you need to think of. That's what you need to act like if you're the defense. You know, you don't have to be perfect. You have to get two to three stops a half. That's it. Literally, that is it with no points on the board. Even give up a field goal. You give up a field goal, huge. it's a win. It's, it's a huge win. It's like a, a in two weeks they play Alabama. You give up a field goal, you know, three or four of them, don't, don't care. Doesn't matter. Just two to three stops a half. And I know some of it, like, there's probably a little, not that we've gone overboard, but, like, there's a little bit of reservation of they haven't played a terrific offense yet by any stretch. But even the games that they played, like, Louisville wasn't incompetent offensively. Tulane certainly wasn't incompetent offensively. There haven't been any drives where you're like, holy shit, that wasn't competitive. Like, nine yards, nine yards, 12 yards, 16 yards, 14 yards, boom, touchdown. Like, even on the drives where they're giving up points, they're at least creating, like, negative plays and putting some sort of stress on the defense where there's a second or a third and long. And there were multiple times last year where that just wasn't the case or anywhere close to it. So, I think that's another sign of this defense improving as a whole. And I thought they played their best game last night. I thought they were really good. I was just going to look up before we kind of moved on to some SEC stuff. Uh, Chance Campbell, shocker, led the team in tackles. Kedron Smith, six. Lakia Henry. I thought Lakia Henry played really nicely last night. I, don't very, know very well. I thought he had a great game last night. He made a couple of plays early that was huge, particularly in run stopping. Yeah, he stood out. He was, he was filling gaps. He was playing very, very well. He was one of the guys where I was really excited to see his improvement. Because when he's in shape and playing well, he's a great player. You know, he's not a world beater. He's not an all-SEC guy, but he's – very good and a, a definitely a needed upgrade at that position that they haven't had in a while. They're they're a good combo. He and uh, he and Campbell have been great. And I, I didn't see a whole lot of Mark Robinson, or I didn't feel like I saw a whole lot of Mark Robinson making plays. But um, those three together are, are a very very solid core that Ole Miss needs. Yeah, and there's I mean there's got to be a pretty big difference between having three and two because like they're playing the three two six and if one of them were to have an injury you could survive with just Mark Robinson or survive with just Lakia Henry whereas if you don't have one of them then you're kind of getting in the Momo Sonogo Austin Keys Ashanti Sistrunk's territory and that's obviously as you kind of mentioned not where you wanted to be last random note I had 
do the give me the scouting thing defensively that you do from Tyler Knight. I know you've said like can't build a team of him, but he had another hit last night where like the dude like did look like he didn't want to give up, and he's the smallest guy on the field. How does that happen? Like, give, do you have the physics behind this? How does that work? It defies all scientific logic <laughs> that he that that guy who is like legitimately five four or five five is like WWE SmackDown <laughs> just <laughs> destroying folks on the ground, just throwing them. Maybe it's just low center of gravity, and he's just a strong kid. I don't know. It's, it is crazy what he's able to do. Um, and I'll say every single time before we start hearing about, like, you know, taking a chance on the small kids, you cannot build rosters with Tyler Knights. But, damn, it is nice to have him on your team here and there, to have a guy or two like him that just, you know, you can just trust with whatever you need to do. And he is just plays his ass off with effort. It's such an underrated quality. Um, he's been awesome. He really has been very, very good and very solid. But he I has sure. it, like he plays on special teams too. And I know there's like this is like corny a little bit, but there's got to be some sort of like boost to where when he destroys someone's world on a kickoff return and the sideline just starts going nuts, like that's got like, the the lumber yeah. he's laying has to boost morale at some point as well. Like that's got to make a little bit of a difference where dudes are just going ape shit because the smallest guy on the field just absolutely ruins someone. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's some uh, team morale going on whenever he kicks somebody's ass for sure. But believe me, when, we, when they play Alabama and Tyler Knight's out there in the slot, I think Nick Saban's going to be like, oh, uh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going after our boy. He might have just destroyed our fullback on kickoff team, but we're about to get one past him here or there. But, uh, I mean, you got to love Tyler Knight. I mean, he's been awesome these first three games. He, he's, a, he's a tough son of a gun. That was about all I had on this game. Ole Miss played really well. Um, I thought that was their best, most complete game, and that really has kind of generated the buzz before you, as you go into this bye week. Because, you know, if this had been a 40-28 to 28 game and Ole Miss was, you know, somewhat lucky to come out on top, no one's talking about, uh, you know, could they beat Alabama next week? Like, now you've, you've really generated some national buzz. They've moved all the way to up to 13th, I believe, in the AP poll. Not that polls necessarily matter, but, like, this is going to be a marquee game. This game is going to com- be competitive, and that's not always been the case in years past. And so, you know, credit to Ole Miss kind of doing what they need to do to get in that position and raise expectations, um, you know, through four weeks as you head into what is clearly the most important game of the year. It was funny that Lane Kiffin in his press conference afterward, clearly that guy is – a master at just sneaking in jabs that sometimes people don't even pick up. But he's talking about not wanting to have the bye week because they were playing so well. And he was like, you know, I haven't checked who we played, but when we play in two weeks, we'll be ready whoever the opponent is. As if he doesn't think about that game all the time, as best you can. And I know, I, I know like you weren't around him, like, every, like all the time, like knowing exactly what he's doing all the time and what he's like thinking. But is there a lot of merit to his desire that's really kind of been – it's not really reporting. It's not speculation either. It's kind of like secondhand information you get that's not really on record and stuff like that. How, how much merit is there to his, like, kind of unquenchable desire to beat Alabama and beat Nick Saban? I, I think it's a little bit overblown by how yeah. much he talks about Alabama and Saban to the media. Um, he does have a ridiculous amount of respect for Saban, and he brings up what they do over there from a, just a total program standpoint and how he wants to implement it at Ole Miss, whether that's offense, defense, nutrition. It doesn't matter. He's just like, they do it well over there. we got to figure out how to, you know, establish that over here. 
the narrative that like every single team meeting and every single practice is like developed and run around beating Alabama is not true <laughs> at all. You know, it, that is that is totally false. They don't like circle this game and ignore the other ones. They don't just put stuff on film for just Alabama. You know, that's not how this works. Uh, but the emphasis on this game is big. And now they get to put it on it for two weeks instead of just one. So you're going to hear a lot about it. It's definitely the game he wants to win the most. Maybe Arkansas is second after last year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this whole the whole idea that, like, everything revolves around beating Nick Saban at every second inside that building is not true at all. Fair enough. But you 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 do think he probably knew who they played after the bye week? You don't think? I not think putting a ton of stock in it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he, he, he probably knew. He had an idea at least. Let's bounce around the SEC before we get out of here. Um, I played golf in the morning, watched most of the second half of the early games. I don't think there was much SEC action in there anyway. The mm-hmm. viewing setup I had where I was, the one game I didn't get to watch a ton of was State Memphis. I caught a, a lot of Auburn – excuse me. Well, what, I did catch a decent bit of Auburn, Penn State, until Ole Miss came on. Caught mostly all of the uh, Alabama-Florida game. Um, and then that was really kind of one of the few note, like only the couple of noteworthy ones in the SEC. I guess we'll start with State Memphis. Um, I don't know how much of this game you watched. We talked about the lack of adaptation. I know people are pissed about the the punt thing that people uh, that they referees screwed up, but it doesn't feel like that game should have been that close. And I just have a hard time with the whole Will Rogers fifty of sixty seven for 419 and three touchdowns. I mean, that's not a bad stat line, but he means I'm just skeptical of the whole air raid. Like you said, do what we do thing working. What was just your take on this game? Cause I don't think that's a great Memphis team by any stretch. No, I, I don't think this is a very good Memphis team at all. Um, compared to what they have been in the past. Uh, I got to watch a lot of the first half. I didn't get to see the second half. So the whole punt thing was like, I just saw a tweet of it. I didn't get to see the context of when it was in the game. I saw Memphis had kind of gotten up pretty big, like 28-17 or something like that, while after it was 17-7 to at halftime. Uh, you know, it's just so typical just of the way that they run that system because they were running the ball pretty well in Memphis in the first half, and then they just, like, decided they just were not going to do it, and they were just going to keep throwing the ball around. And Will Rogers, I mean – you watch him compared to watching a throw by Corral. It's like high school and college. I mean, Will's a pretty decent player, but he has no velocity on the ball. He really cannot stretch the field. I'm honestly a little surprised Jack Abraham hasn't played more. Maybe he's kind of lost it. You know, he's been in college for like eight years now. So maybe he had concussion just... issues in camp and missed a ton of camp too. Exactly. So there's something going on there. I did not know that, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, because there was never a debate about that job, and I think if he were healthy, he would have actually pushed Rodgers for the starting job more. Yeah, if, if I knew more about State and knew that he had concussion, I would not – that makes a ton of sense to me because Jack Abraham was a pretty good quarterback and has been pretty much every stop he's been at, you know, at, even though they're all group of five. Like Southern Miss and La Tech, I mean, those teams were with Abraham were pretty good. Um, they, State's not very good. Uh, the defense, I think that this idea – that if you're above average SEC defense, that, like, that's going to change the game for you is such nonsense just with the way teams go now. Like, yeah, Mississippi State has an above average SEC defense. 
but they're not good enough on offense for it to matter at all. And, you know, and I'm not some big egg bowl guy. Like, that's not – I grew up in Baton Rouge. Like, that game, the egg bowl, it doesn't mean that much to me, to be honest. Like, I'm not hating on State because I'm an Ole Miss fan. I'm hating on them because they're not very good. That's the only reason. And this – the West is really, really deep, and they have solidified themselves as the worst team. And if it weren't for a miracle against Louisiana Tech – just, you know, pissing down their leg for a whole quarter, that team would be in panic mode, and they still might already be because they're going to have a bad year this year. Yeah, I agree. And, like, the that I think a little bit of that NC State result was, one, a matchup thing, and, two, a little bit of an outlier in State, probably, honestly, whatever version of them, all, but probably close to peaking. And that's, you, you know, if you peak and you beat NC State team, you probably should have beaten anyway. That's, that's not the sign of a – of a great club. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think they're probably the worst team in the West. And, you know, I mean, La Tech, there was a lot made of like, well, La Tech was pretty good offensively. It's like, well, or no, they're not rounded in like the good defensive line. It's like, well, Selah took them down to the wire the next week. I don't really even know what division of football Selah is in these days. They're not good. Like, they're that, not that good. They lost there. to SMU yesterday on a crazy Hail Mary. I don't know if you saw that. But, I did. Uh, that was wild. Yeah. They're not good. And Louisiana Tech is not a good football team this year. And, you know, Mike Leach, this, this weird thing he does where, like, that Mississippi State team last year and, like, some of his Washington State teams, like, whenever the game is, like, kind of a coin flip, Mississippi State kind of comes – or Mike Leach teams come out and play well. And then when they're underdogs, they play well. When they're kind of supposed to win is when they kind of play like shit. They really and, do. And, and, like, Louisiana Tech, uh, LSU, they were underdog last year, you know, coming to that game. This Memphis game, they're supposed to, you know, win. I know they weren't a big Vegas favorite, only three and a half, four points. But, you know, they're an SEC team against Memphis. And I know teams have struggled there. Believe me, I've seen it happen firsthand. But it's just a bad loss. I don't care about the whole punt thing. I mean, that's part of football. If you don't want it to get to that point, don't let it get to that point. That team's bad. And they've shown it for three, three weeks with the exception of NC State, which is what I was saying, Mike Leach, you know, 50-50 game, they kind of come out of nowhere and play well. They're, they're in for a rude awakening this year for the rest of the league. Florida-Alabama was an interesting game because it starts off, you know, you've talked about, you were pretty early on the whole, they might be playing the wrong quarterback thing. And early on in the game, it appeared that way. Emory Jones was was not good early on. But then as you kind of mentioned earlier when we were discussing kind of some SEC stuff and adjustments in the podcast, you know, they adjusted. And it, they, Emory Jones actually played quite well, I thought, through kind of the latter stretch of that game. Just what did you think of that game in general? My biggest takeaway was Alabama seems vulnerable defensively, and they're not just kind of the kind of machine-like offense they've been a couple times during the Tua era offensively. They seemed human, and I was also – so I thought Florida was good. I thought they were pretty damn good and comparable to Alabama at every position but quarterback and maybe one or two others. But across the board roster-wise, it wasn't a great disparity. I just left this game thinking that, one, I wonder what would have happened if the Richardson kid played. I still just wonder that in general. And, two, Alabama's human. Yeah, I think Alabama's human. I still think they're definitely the class of this SEC by far. Sure. Um, I don't think enough's being said that this was the first time that Alabama has been to the swamp since 2011, I think. You know, just the way the stupid SEC scheduling. Like, this was as hyped up a football game for Florida as they've probably had in 10 years. And I think, like, that atmosphere 
the game plan Mullen was probably pulled out all the stops. Uh, there was just a lot of riding for Florida, and Bama played very well to start off and kind of put their, you know, kind of took up their foot off the gas a little bit. It kind of ended up biting them in the ass. Um, I think this said a lot more about Florida, that they actually are a pretty good team this year. I was pretty low on them. I wouldn't be surprised to see them regress to the mean and, like, not end up, you know, a 10-win team by any means. I think there was a lot of that came into this game that was just in their favor. Uh, first of all, Bryce Young, he's really good. It's, he's still a true freshman on his first SEC road game in the swamp. You know, they haven't hosted him in 10 years. Like, that's a lot of pressure for a young kid, no matter how poised he is and how good he did look. Um, they're just a lot into it. And I, I wouldn't – Bama won the game, and they deserve to, kind of. <laughs> I'd be interested to see what happens if they, like, call a real football play for a two-point conversion. Um but it was a great game. I think Bama's beatable. I think they're still really good. I think people are trying to, you know, disrespect them a little bit when it's supposed to be tied respect week. Um, so, I don't know. But uh, I think Florida is actually a pretty good team. And I think this was a really good football game. It really was. Um, for biggest – so, obviously, the path back to Florida, I mean, they're not out of it by any means. I wouldn't necessarily project them to go to the playoff or project them to come out of the East. But I don't discount their chances of beating Georgia and kind of getting a second crack at, you would think, I know we just spent, you know, half the time talking about Ole Miss having a shot in two weeks, but, you know, getting another crack at Alabama potentially in the SEC title game. Um, before we move on to the other one, just from what you've seen from Alabama so far, what do you think their biggest weaknesses on both sides of the ball that's kind of contributed to this? It's weird to say come down to earth. That's kind of ridiculous. That's not, that's, what, yeah, that's not what happened. Yes. No. no what do you think? has made them has made the general public like okay like they'll have more than one competitive game this year they'll have two or three like what's what do you think has made them human i think it's just take the public taking for granted how damn impressive they were with mac jones and tua you know just how efficient they were they just did it with such ease and they're still playing really good football you know they still put up 31 points on the road at florida against a, a pretty good team um, I think they just don't have the same dynamic playmakers they've had. They still are really good. You know, Robinson's a really good player. McClellan, the backup running back, is a five-star. He's a good player. The offensive line is good. It's not the dominant personnel they've had in the past. Um, the wide receivers are good, but it's not the three-headed monster they've had for the past three years. You know, they're still talented. I think it's – it's the same team running a similar scheme with just maybe a smidge hair less dynamic outside playmakers. So they're still damn good. They're still going to be really difficult to defend and play against, but it's not three first round draft picks outside quarterback first rounder, running back first rounder. It's just a little bit lower with maybe a little bit of uh, rust to getting in the full form. I think that's always why Ole Miss likes to play them early is because they haven't hit their stride on offense, and I think they're going to because Bryce Young is really, really good. But I think it's just people are just taking what they did in the past two years for granted. I mean, Matt Jones was so efficient, and when you watch them play, they're not putting up 50 and kicking people's ass. You're like, oh, they're not good anymore, but that's, right. not, but that's <laughs> not the case at all. 
Yeah, no, their run the last just particularly four to five years. And I know LSU did clip them, but that was one of the greatest college seasons we all have had of all time. But you're right, just the machine-like dominance of everyone when you don't have, like you mentioned, the top-end first-rounder pretty much everywhere. Um, you know, you'll get in more competitive games, but they're still really good, and it wouldn't stun me, obviously, if they ran the table. I would still probably project them to as well, right? You're just going to have more competitive games throughout. That's probably a good way to infuse Ole Miss before we hit these last couple. Kiffin really said, he's like, I don't really like having the bye week. Obviously, if you made our own schedule, it doesn't make a ton of sense to have the bye week. Four games in, we're not as banged up. But at the same time, you like to get Alabama early, as you mentioned. You have two weeks to prepare for it. And whatever minor ailments you do have, you catch them fully healthy. And the benefit of catching them earlier in the year, again, from the Ole Miss side, is the fact that, if Ole Miss played them in November and, like, say Chance Campbell was hurt or one of the other linebackers was hurt or you lose a couple guys in the secondary, you would feel drastically worse about your chances, would you not? I mean, this defense needs to be, for Ole Miss to have a chance against a team like that, fully healthy because they still aren't at a point where, depth-wise, where they can afford to lose a couple guys and still play well in a marquee game. Right. They need to be at full strength and they need some things to go their way. You know, it's, it's yes. impossible to think that Corral and them, you know, as good as they've been on offense these first three games, that they're just going to play perfect every single week. Like you have to have some turnovers, some balls, you know, tip your way and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, you want them at full strength. And I think they will be, you know, they don't have had a lot of injuries. So I think they'll be ready to go against Alabama. I think it'll just be one of those things where, They've just got to be able to just make some plays whenever, you know, things break down. Like, they just got to have some things go their way, play sound, play solid. Don't give them the ball. Take the ball away. But they can – I mean, like we said earlier in the podcast, in three weeks that's gone as a guaranteed L to a, you know, they, they can beat out. Puncher's chance. Yeah, puncher's chance. Like, more than that. I don't yeah. think they'll be – I think they'll be less than a two-touchdown underdog. I think it'll be around a 13, 10-and-a-half maybe, the line. Um, I, they will be less than a two-touchdown underdog, and that's more than a puncher's chance. Georgia beat South Carolina 40-13. to 13. And South Carolina looked good for them for starting 2-0. and It's a nice win against a decent ECU club. They're just not talented. I think the – it's classic first-year head coach. I think they bought into the whole Shane Beamer thing. They seem to play really hard. They just aren't good. Georgia's defense, really good. I don't know how much you could tell from JT Daniels or how much this game he watched, but he did go 23-31 for 303 and three touchdowns. That was kind of the concern in game one against Clemson. Um, to me, Georgia is – and you talk about a team that's the closest to Alabama with the way they play and particularly their defensive front, uh, they're really good. And if Daniels comes into his own and becomes a, you know, above, I say above average, he's probably already above average, be, goes up a level, I guess, to really not be able to quantify it. Uh, they're, they're really, really good. What did, did you make anything of this game at all? I got to see a little bit of it. I didn't get to see a whole lot. Um, I know South Carolina had a garbage touchdown to cover, so sorry for any of y'all that had laid 30 points in an SEC football game. Um, that's kind of your fault. <laughs> Skybox Sports Picks did. I'll have to get that. Uh, I had to get the plug in there. They had Georgia minus 30? No, no. They, that, excuse me. Sorry, you said laid. They, uh, they took the 32. Okay. So they yeah. took South Carolina. Yeah, that's the correct choice. You know, it's still an SEC football game. Uh I struggle with Georgia. That defense is real. It is the best in the country, and that's a real factor. 
I just I just haven't seen it from JT Daniels. I know he had an efficient game against South Carolina. Like, who hasn't over the past three years? Right. Uh, so, like, I mean, remember TJ Finley, like, threw for, like, five touchdowns for LSU, and now he's the backup at Auburn. So, I'm not going to put too much into <laughs> playing well against South Carolina. I just – I think they're better than Florida, and I don't think their defense will get gashed like Bama's did. Not saying that Bama has a bad defense. I think Georgia, just defensive line and linebacker-wise, are just – are actually – they are better than the Alabamas, which is probably the first time you could say that in maybe like 15 years that anyone has a better front seven than them. Uh, I just see them getting into a shootout. Like, if they played Ole Miss next week, do you think Ole Miss beats Georgia? Man, I hadn't thought about that. Because I do. I, like, I think I'd probably I think they, yes – because I'm just not sure even how good – like, even as good as they are defensively. Neutral field, neutral field. Like, let's say you're playing in Dallas. I, I just if, – if Ole Miss stops them in the first half, let's say they stop them, they somehow go up 14-0. Like, do you really trust JT Daniels with no George Pickens? Yeah, they've got a really good running game and a solid offensive line. It's not the world beaters I kind of thought they would be. I just – if they have to play a shootout with somebody, which is kind of the way some of these bigger games go, I don't really trust JT or, Gre- or Kirby Smart to, to make it happen. I just, I just don't. I, it's kind of a and I'll believe it when I see it kind of deal with them because Kirby's big game acumen, his past track record is just so bad. I could not agree more. I keep having this pop-up ad play from ESPN. I, that not my favorite website in the world. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, the no, I agree. So I think that would one be a hell of a game. I hadn't even actually thought about that. Of all the hypotheticals we talked about, Ole Miss, Alabama, whomever, I haven't thought about that one. But doesn't it go back to your twenty-eight point rule? Like, wouldn't wouldn't JT Daniel and that offense have to score twenty-eight to thirty points, even as good as Georgia's off defense is? Like, don't you think Ole Miss would still get to that twenty-eight thirty-five mark offensively at minimum? And do you trust them to score? 30. I, I don't know the answer to that. Ole Miss's defense is not as good as obviously Clemson's or um, Alabama's for that matter. No, not at like, all. Not even close. Like I'm stating the obvious. That's not the, that's not you the don't point. trust them to get to 30 against the Ole Miss defense. I don't know. I think I lean no. I think I'm with you. I think I lean no. I, I mean, that's just kind of the that's the scenario you have to think of the Ole, this Ole Miss team going forward. You know, Georgia scored three points against Clemson. I don't care how good Clemson's defense is. Like, they only scored three points. You know, they had to pick six. That was the only touchdown in that game. I just – I don't know. I just – I don't trust that team. I don't trust teams anymore that are built and established by their defense in this era of college football. I just – it just doesn't work the way it has in the past. It just – it hasn't – it won't in the future. It is a great and important thing to have. But it's not going to win you the games you have to win. You have to be able to score the football if, for a team like Georgia if they want to beat Florida or Alabama or anything like that. I mean, they got away with it with Clemson. I mean, they really did. They, they scored three points. Like, the odds of you winning a football game these days and only scoring three points is crazy. And, honestly, it looks so much worse now because Clemson may, not be, they may not be good. They, they may, may be not be good. Very be average team this year. And that's, you know, that it'll be hard to tell because they play you know, the Sisters of the Poor for the rest of the year. Like, you'll never know really how good they are until they play uh, North Carolina. But you know what North Carolina does against teams with a pulse. So they'll probably kick their ass too. 
Um, it, it's just it, George is a tough tell with me. I'm not sold on that team's uh, what do you call it playoff aspirations as I think most people are. But then again, who else has looked good this year? So it's tough to tell. That speaks to what we were talking about at the top of the show, and it's probably a decent way. I know we got a couple more games, but to like kind of put a bow on that conversation is like we talked about where you could be in kind of a crazy year where, you know, anyone quote unquote could beat anyone. That's not perfectly true, but it's some semblance of parity that you have not had in college football in six, seven years, probably goes back longer than that. I mean, it's the ridiculous stat of 20 of the 28 playoff bids have gone to the same four teams. That's terrible for the sport. And hopefully you get a year where that doesn't happen. Clemson not being good would, would be a nice domino to turn. And then, Someone beating Alabama and just making them earn it with one loss would be kind of awesome to see. And that's we just turned this into Ole Miss would commit a great humanitarian act for the sport by beating Alabama. They would just it would be the people's victory. It it would, and I, I <laughs> the people's victory. Golly, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people cheering for it because I think people do have some Alabama fatigue. Oh, it's, it's kind of rampant in the sport. It's kind of like the Warriors. For those years where, like, people hated on the Warriors, but then again, like, you wanted the Warriors in the finals because you wanted to watch them get beat. That's kind of what Alabama has turned into. It's like you're tired of Alabama, but then again, you kind of are okay with them in the finals because you just want to cheer against them. Like, you know, they're still going to be there no matter what because they're just better than you. Um, it's the it's the simple intrigue of who's going to – like. Great. We'll play like, you know, Alabama Clemson part seven. You knew it's coming. Now there's a chance they get beat tripped up before that. And that just adds so much intrigue to the sport. It, it's Colin Cowherd's like, it's his greatest little thing he always does is people think they don't love dynasties, yes. but actually they do. You know, the, the sports fan like actually does love dynasties. You know, the Alabama's, the Warriors, all that kind of stuff that he's always used to go on and on about. And to an extent, he's true. Like dynasties, like the Patriots and what, like they get viewers, they get numbers and whatnot. If Alabama can lose a game this year, you might not get the playoff that, you know, with the Blue Buds. But I think in this sport in particular, people are so tired of it. No one, like, no one is cheering for Ohio State and Clemson down the stretch. Nobody. I think people respect Alabama. So, yeah, they're cheering against them. They're like, yeah, they get there, they probably deserve it. But they want to see someone else, someone new. I mean, like, I think this year, you tell me if I'm wrong, Oregon, Iowa, Ole Miss, and I'll throw in Georgia there because you kind of have to. Those four teams have looked like playoff teams so far. Yes. Alabama obviously has as well. But excluding those five, uh, Penn State, I guess. Penn State. I, they were, I was about to make that point. They're borderline. I'm not sure about Clifford. But they're pretty good, and if things go the right way, it wouldn't stun me. They're definitely in the conversation. I don't see them running the table because yes. I just don't trust that quarterback. But, you know, you can't ignore what they've done so far. So you've got five teams, and of those five or six, Alabama's the only constant factor that's been in the playoffs for these past five or six years. We could have some fun this year, like some actual teams kind of coming out of the, the woodwork to make things different. I could almost guarantee that it'll end up being – Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, you know, that's just how it'll probably end up working out. But it's fun to talk about it now, at least a little bit. I would bet against it this year. Because I, I, I think your point about Iowa is a good one. I am not, are we sure Ohio State's good? They look like shit against Tulsa. Like, it may be Alabama and Clemson again, 
but there's room elsewhere for other seats at the table. And to your last point before we get to these last couple of games, the, to your point about it being fun to talk about and people not actually hating dynasties, in this sport, it's gone way too – there's a healthy balance to everything. And there's room for other brands at the table. Like, you know, it's like the whole, like, people love – like, Colin Coward on top of the dynasties things. He's like, people don't actually like Cinderella. Just look at the ratings when, you know, Loyola goes to the Final Four. But – College basketball is still more compelling because if it was quite literally Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, and Kansas every single year in the Final Four, people would like Cinderella more, and they'd be clamoring. They would actually probably be clamoring for a change. There's enough big name brands in college football: the Oregon's, the Georgias, the whomevers. There's room for more seats at the table, and I think people desire to see that. It's not just the I'd like NFL style parity. I would just like some variance. I think is probably the best way to put it. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think we're seeing it, so who knows. Penn State-Auburn was on the other television for most of the night at my setup. No volume. I would To say I was remotely locked into that past the first two quarters, really quarter and a half, is a lie. Um, I think Auburn is going to be better than we thought. Um, I think they're pretty good defensively. I think they – at least know who they are running the football-wise. Tank Bigsby's a good running back, and I think Harson. you know, people didn't like a lot of his VAC stuff, and, like, he kind of became in that internet sphere where he's not a popular guy uh, in the offseason. But he is a good football coach, and at least they have an identity and kind of know exactly who they are because a lot of teams right now are struggling from not knowing who they are. What did you make of this game? We kind of hit the Penn State side of it. Impressive win for Penn State, but I thought it was a pretty good showing for Auburn. Yeah, I thought they played well. Um, I think just when it comes to Auburn, it's you're kind of relying on Bo Nix. And I think the, you know, we have enough games and enough numbers to realize that Bo Nix away from home is just not a great quarterback. And I don't think anything changed after watching this game to think that differently. Um, they, they run the ball well. Their defense is athletic. Um, we said last week that Ole Miss going there and guaranteeing a win was should is not the case, and I stand by that by a lot. It's not, there's no guarantee win going to play at Auburn. I thought of you saying that today. I saw a stat that uh, the only games that Ole Miss won't be favored in by FPI, so FPI index is actually Auburn and Alabama. I thought I, I found that interesting. Yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. But uh, I think they're probably. I mean. It's hard to say they aren't like the third best team in the West right now with Alabama, then Ole Miss, then Auburn. Um, I mean, they Rank played them on the show last night. Rank yours. I had Alabama, Ole Miss, Auburn, A&M. I think I'd go Arkansas, LSU, and State. I would go Alabama, Ole Miss, Auburn, A&M without King. Oh, did no, I miss not, A&M? They were fourth on mine if I didn't – if I skipped. Fourth, yes, Alabama, Ole Miss, Auburn as of right now. Then A and M, LSU looks better. You know, we're we're everyone's praying and so excited to watch them beat the shit out of Central Michigan. And so that was cool for for LSU. Uh, where does LSU play Arkansas? I, okay, I guess it's as of today. As of today, I'm going Arkansas, then LSU, then Mississippi State. Agree. LSU is going to get better. I, I think they kind of get not got a nice little uh, little win there and. It, Build some confidence. They're they're not dead yet. As much as I love to shit on them, uh, they're they're not dead. <laughs> That's a good transition because we'll get into the LSU game right now because it's one of the two we have left. Um, but I agree with you. And 
A&M probably ends up better than Auburn. But again, as of today, I would put Auburn ahead. But again, I think right. by the end of the year and the way it shakes out, it ends up being uh, A&M. But anyway, um, LSU did look good. Max Johnson looked good. Central Michigan's not great, but LSU didn't have a very good showing against McNeese. And there's something to be said for looking sharp and looking competent when you have these buy games and these inferior opponents. That was probably some, not regression to the mean, uh, acceleration to the mean. Like, they looked like, <laughs> it was like, is this team going to go five and seven? Is this going to go six and six even after McNeese? They're probably a seven-win club, like you said, and they look better this week. They, they did. I think what makes this team so frustrating and stupid is that, like, you just see these guys. Like, Deion Smith had a ridiculous touchdown. He's a true freshman. Jack Besh, who's – I know his sister. She went to LSU, and he's a true freshman. He's playing, like, their tight end hybrid role, and he's been phenomenal. Um, it's like they have so much talent, and that is real. Like, I know everyone says it about LSU. They got so much talent. They haven't been coached well, and they played played two terrible football games to start the year. But I have some, like, small confidence that team's going to get better and better throughout the year. Um, That offensive line is still very average, and that's what's going to get them more than anything else. Uh, But they looked pretty good. They have young talent all over the field. Um, If Max Johnson can just, like, have a little bit of pocket awareness, then they'll be a pretty good football team. Um, but I'm not ready to say that they still aren't going to win, you know, seven games. I, I just – I can't. Everyone else is so much more developed than they are at this point. A massive game for them next week against State because if they can find a way to pull out a win, you get Auburn in Death Valley. And, like, I don't think there is – like, I think Auburn might be better than them, but that's a still an incredibly tough place to go play and get in at home. And then you get a Kentucky team that you were kind of high on uh, I say you, just like the collective you, like people, like, but I got a high on, but look, I had a bad week. I don't know what to make of that game. Point being, if you get to the Mississippi State game, you could win two more in a row. You'll go lose it uh, against Florida, even though it's at home, I think. But like, if they win that game against State, there's an opportunity for them to right the ship a little bit, at least. I don't know if they'll do it, but if you lose that, it's like, well, who else are you beating down the stretch? I mean, it goes Auburn at Kentucky, Florida at Ole Miss out of Alabama. Arkansas, ULM, and A&M. And if you can't beat a state team, the current edition they are, who are you beating? So, huge one for them next week. Um, yeah. Did you make anything of Kentucky Chattanooga? Just weird game or any sweeping declarations? I, 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 I obviously – yeah, I obviously did not watch one second of that game. Uh, weird sleepy game, I guess. I don't know. I don't make I, – I don't think anyone got injured that I'm aware of. Uh, maybe someone did. I'm not going to – put too much into that that's just kind of a weird deal I don't know I still think they're a very good football team agree Missouri wins 59-21 against some directional Missouri school I will say this and this seemed like probably a joke after week one is there a case to be made that Vanderbilt could finish second to last over Missouri I just I don't think that'll happen but is there a smidgen of a chance because I don't think Missouri's good at all I don't think they're very good but I we cannot discount how bad Vanderbilt. that is true uh, I will not. I will not change my narrative on them. Your favorite word. I will not change it. They are bad. Yeah. They will I was not just trying to give the the, the nerds yeah. a bone. I, I want to try to give them hope. Yeah, it's like I'm not going to flip the script on LSU season because they beat a shit Central Michigan team. I am not going to flip the script on Vanderbilt, Missouri. I will not do it. But they, Missouri will beat them handily. To say another thing nice about Vanderbilt, they were competitive against Stanford and. 
Look, Colorado State is absolutely horrendous, and that was probably more an indictment on Colorado State. But look, man, you get beat 23-3 to in your own place by ETSU. Beating an FBS team on the road the next week is at least a good way to rebound. Stanford handles the game. that I don't think you ever thought that Vanderbilt was going to even flirt with winning it, but they were competitive, I guess. Tennessee, Tennessee Tech, whatever. I Didn't Hendon Hooker play? That They benched their quarterback. That's the only noteworthy thing of that. That's, um, a, that's a mistake. I, I don't understand why they're doing that. The Milton kid is not bad. I, okay, I so the, what's your, give me your take on that. That's interesting. I mean, just watching the Pittsburgh game last week when they played, like, sorry, you know, people who are listening, I did not watch Tennessee, Tennessee Tech, but I did not know they benched the quarterback. I didn't um, know who Tennessee played until I pulled it up. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Milton kid, it, he just could not – he just was struggling with his accuracy – but he runs that off. He ran it so well, but it was just inconsistent. Like, I just wouldn't give up on that kid yet. And I don't know anything about the hooker guy, but I saw him coming against Pittsburgh. It was nothing that was more impressive than the Milton kid by any means. And with Milton, I mean, he's a big-ass kid that can spread the field better than the other kid could. I, I, if I was hypo, I would have stuck with your guy, figure it out. Um, they've got to find a quarterback because as I'm very confident in hypo, and I've said that on this before that I think that he is a very good football coach that will get them to be much more competitive, but they better find a quarterback quick because that's going to be their downfall for these next few years while he's there. If they can't find one, then it doesn't matter how good of a coach he is because uh, I mean, they're going to have talent, but I don't know. They're not very good this year. I'm, I'm leaning more towards Ole Miss can check that one as a W than I was a few weeks ago. Especially oh, I cer- if certainly agree. You know what I mean? So Yeah, like we, I think we identified two weeks ago. It's like, I don't know about that or Auburn. Whereas Auburn, you still feel the same Tennessee. It's like, unless Ole Miss really just pisses down their leg, they'll win that game. It's pretty, pretty relative easy. Yeah, I would agree. Last one, there was no real take on this one. I mean, A&M beats the hell out of New Mexico, uh, New Mexico whatever. And to me, there's nothing to take away other than the fact that if Haynes King is going to miss some time, I guess it was good to get Zach Calzada some game reps and at least let him get acclimated. He didn't look great. He was okay at the end of the Colorado game, but like not the easiest thing to do to come off the bench cold like that. At least he's getting familiar, but I, I, nothing to be gained from that. Yeah, nothing to be gained from that. And there, it shows their defense is, is still really good. And that's kind of what they're going to be. Their calling card and whatnot. But like I said about Georgia, like that's just that scares me. Like, that's not the team I really want to see. I want to see a team with an elite offense and a competent and aggressive defense, not a team with a, an elite defense and a conservative and not aggressive offense, you know? So I think King is a pretty good player and better than Calzada, but I don't know if he's that much better. So I, I've got some worries, some concerns about A&M right now. I would agree with that. I mean, the, there, I guess there's a reason why there was a battle and neither one of them looked overwhelming. Our send-off segment is the segment that's taking over the nation, Soccer Corner. We are probably the USA's largest soccer podcast. or Mississippi. Let's go with Mississippi's soccer podcast because we might be the only one. Uh, there was some chatter this week. So my old radio cohort, Ryan Haydad, he's a Chelsea fan. So I, it took me a while to pick up on this soccer lingo. Uh, and understand what was going on in this conversation. And then we had a TV guy chiming in as well. They were Chelsea fans and your man, you, which is not cool. Uh, No, I mean, they're rivals to an extent just because they're two really good teams who are currently both sitting at the top of the league right now. Um, Chelsea won the Champions League last year. And 
I, I would put it this way. I think you'll be able to understand this well. Being a Chelsea fan these days is kind of like being a Boston Red Sox fan, where it's like, you know, you don't really have it. I mean, obviously, everyone kind of just picks a soccer team. But when it comes to baseball, I felt like growing up, like everybody was a Red Sox fan because they were okay. kind of like the, the lovable losers. Then all of a sudden they were really, really good. And people are like, you know, it's not the Yankees. So I don't have to say that. But I can say the Red Sox and no one's going to give me shit for it. That's like kind of like a Packers fan? Kind of, yeah, like a Packers fan to an extent. Like you're not a Cowboys fan. Like you're not going that far left or right, depending on what you think. But you know, Chelsea's a very popular American team, and obviously America's best player plays for them. So I get where people are coming from with that. And back in the day, they had some players like Didier Drogba, you know, Michael Essien, like some really awesome players that were easy to cheer for, and they have always been good. So I get it. Um, but, yeah, so they're both at the top of the league. United won this morning. Uh, but we did lose an absolute – heartbreaker in the champ the first champions league game on tuesday uh so that was a gut punch um but your boys brentford they're back baby they won 2-0 <laughs> okay so i had a question about that because and i'm i'm guessing these espn standings are up to date I, I would assume so they're ninth they are two one and two so a couple draws only allowed two goals, that seems very good, but if only scored five, that does not seem good. Is that the analytics at play, or what do we, what do we got going on here? That seems a, that's a lower output than pretty much everyone in the Champions League, even the shittier teams. There's teams that have scored less and definitely had teams. My God, really? Norwich City had 14 goals allowed. That doesn't seem great. But point being, seven goals in their five games both ways, is that, is that analytics? Is that the nerds working? Oh, I mean, teams play with different tactics. Okay. They do different things. You know, some teams are very free-flowing, aggressive, you know, back and forth. Um, and some teams are a little bit more stagnant, a little bit more defensive and counterattacking. Uh, Brentford is one of those teams. They are brand new to this league. First time in 75 years they've been upgraded to the Premier League, uh, promoted to the Premier League. And they're a, a top-ten team right now after five games, you know. It's all about staying in for one year. That's the biggest thing is getting promoted and staying in for one year, not getting relegated back to the second league so that you can just incur that money, buy better players, and slowly build your program. They're in ninth right now. They're in a great spot for what they have been. So they're, they're doing just fine. I had the same thoughts as Brent, most Brentford fans. That's a big, big one on the message board <laughs> this week for the Bees. Um, I hope I renewed my subscription to that. Uh, the last – I'm just picking around here. Uh, I, Brighton and Hove Albion is in fourth place. I, I've heard – again, I talk about knowing nothing about soccer. I have heard of most of the Premier League clubs, but there's a team in fourth I've never heard of. Is that just Brighton and they're just adding a weird title? Do they go by Hove Albion? So I've heard of Brighton, but that's weird. What, what's the deal with them? There's a lot of Albion teams. There's like West Bromwich Albion. I The history of the names of some of these clubs, like my girlfriend was actually asking me like this morning, United was playing West Ham. And she was like, is that like West Hampshire? Is that like a, like a smaller version of that? And honestly, I don't know. <laughs> you know, you got I'm a Wolverhampton in the mix too. There's some cool names. But I've just never great. heard of Brighton and they seem to be doing pretty good. Yeah, they've had a great start. Uh, they're kind of similar to Brentford, where they're, they're kind of a counterattacking team. They're not like a, a overly aggressive offensively, where they're just, you know, 
rip, running up and down the field. But, yeah, they're having a great start. Um, they, they, they're pretty good. I haven't got to see them play a whole lot, but they've had some pretty good results against some tough teams. So they're, they're in it very much so. Is the biggest disaster still Arsenal? Because that's a big club I know, and they're not doing great. Who's the – what manager's getting sacked already been sacked? I know that soccer loves firing their coaches, which is kind of a power move. More Obviously, than- I can respect that. Who's the biggest disaster? Uh, Arsenal is still the biggest disaster. Um, there are some other teams that have, Wolves, Wolverhampton. They're they're a very weird team. They have like this weird relationship with this Portuguese agent. So like almost all their team is Portuguese. Okay, <laughs> and love it's, that. It's, a weird, it's kind of a weird backstory that if you go read the Barstool article where they go and tell you what fan of a soccer team should be, they bring up how like. Wolves have just built their team through this Portuguese agent. Um, so that was very interesting for me. Who There's still things I don't know about it. Um, but, yeah, Arsenal is still a disaster. Sheffield United, never heard of them. Ninth place right there in the – oh, excuse me. Actually, that was – I've now – I went back in a rabbit hole as we were speaking, and uh, that's the <laughs> 1920 standings. That's probably not relevant. That was probably all the questions I had on soccer corner. Nothing else really standing out. I'm going to – it's – the further we dive into this, I'll have some more and hopefully dumber questions. So this has been Soccer Corner. I appreciate the time, dude. This was uh, great stuff as always. Uh, by week, next week, so probably no – I don't know. We'll figure out the schedule. We'll talk again before Alabama, I'm sure. Just don't know when. I don't yeah. know if it makes a ton of sense to do the Sunday show. Maybe we'll stick with it and just do some results. But uh, we'll be back at it sometime next week. I appreciate it, dude. Absolutely. See ya. And that's our show. Appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate Weldon's time. As always, these Sunday shows are becoming a lot of fun. Uh, As lengthy as these podcasts are, I don't intend for them to be. I always think like hour, hour and a half tops. Then I look up, it's an hour and 50 minutes in. I just enjoy talking football with Weldon. Love bouncing around the SEC. And as if you guys have benefited from it, hopefully enjoyed. He offers a lot of great insight and perspective on not only Ole Miss, but the SEC. So hope you enjoyed the show. We're still going to have three pods for you as we enter the bye week. Probably going to do a little hoops preview. Got a hoops guy on for uh, basketball season that I guess we'll introduce on Wednesday. Won't talk a ton of hoops, obviously, again, until the season gets there um, because, you know, it is football season. But bye week, why not check in on the hoops team? Because that basketball season is going to get here before you know it. So uh, we'll have a very special guest on Wednesday uh, who will be my Weldon for basketball season, if you uh, if you want to think of it that way. So looking forward to that. Uh, so keep that on the horizon. And then we'll have probably bring back Mailback Friday. We've gone away from it. But uh, just because everything else going on with football season on Friday shows are usually pretty packed. But with the bye week, we might bring back Mailback Friday. So definitely three pods, but we'll uh, mix up the content a bit with Ole Miss not playing. So uh, anyway, thanks for listening. Have a great start to your week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.